Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. In December 2007, I was six months into living in New York City. My best friend Pamela and I were stuck in the city for Christmas because we could not get off work, and we thought it might be nice to attend a Christmas Eve service together. She walked past Trinity one day and saw a sign. We went to the service and decided to return again the next Sunday. Since discovering Trinity nearly 10 years ago, God has taken me on quite the transformative journey, and he's used this church to make often very difficult changes in me. Growing up, my family moved on average every two and a half years, and we attended different churches sporadically in various locations across the country. In my teenage years and into my early 20s, I really struggled with forgiveness, giving and receiving with strangers and with close family and friends. I was mostly a self-centered individual. While I prayed the believer's prayer at the age of 14, I did not experience life change or enter into a relationship with Christ. Over time at Trinity, whether through teaching Sunday school, participating in small groups, singing in choir, digesting sermons, or serving in Rwanda, God has slowly chiseled away at my hardened heart and brought me into relationship with him. There are many areas of my life that need improvement, but reflecting on who I was before Trinity, I can see the significant life change that has occurred in me. Now, I continuously pursue a deeper relationship with Christ. I have more patience and compassion. I seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Trinity's community has become my family. Here, I have been supported, encouraged, and loved through some of the biggest challenges and heartbreaking pains in my life. At Trinity, I have learned what it means to follow Christ. I was baptized here. In this room, I married my husband, Dave. And now, in this church, our son, Jack, is learning about God and will grow up in a diverse community of believers. This place is home. I've witnessed how God is using Trinity, its mission, its ministries, its people, to change individuals like me and to change the city and impact the world. As we celebrate Trinity's 150th year, I feel overwhelmed with gratitude by the blessings of being a part of God's story and this church's heritage. My name is Sarah Page, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Our reading today is from Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who, are share, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, 
bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The word of the Lord. Sir, thanks. So Deanne and I, I got back last night from vacation. We were in a very warm place, and I'd like to go back there today because this is not what I was hoping to come back to. Um, if you are visiting with us this morning, we're thrilled that you're here. And what we do um, most weeks at the beginning of this sermon time is we get into small conversation groups of, of three or four people. And we do that to make visitors very uncomfortable. Um, so, no, and actually we don't. We, we do it because we want to give you an opportunity to, to get to know just a handful of people around you. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. Um, in a moment, turn to the two or three people around you. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Keith. Um, I've been at Trinity for how long? One day or two weeks or I was here years ago and now I'm back. Um, and then I want you to answer this question. Regarding architecture, what is your favorite building in New York and why? Okay? So turn and, and talk for about 90 seconds. I know there's a lot of wonderful buildings to choose from. Um, let, me, let me hear s- some of your favorites. Chrysler Building. How many of you said Chrysler Building? That's got to be up there. Uh, what, how about another one? Grand Central. That's a, a beautiful building, too. Some of you go, oh, man, I should have picked Grand Central. Um, what? St. Pat? The Flatiron Building. Flatiron is a great one. What about the Petrosian? Yeah. Gail loves the Petrosian. What a great one. What do you got, Garth? The World Trade Center when it was still standing. Um, oh. So, those are all great buildings. Now, here's a question for you. We all know the names of those buildings. Do you know the name of the builder? Hmm. Mr. Grand Central. No. Okay, so we know the name of the building. We don't know the name of the builder, but which is more important, the building or the builder? Huh? The builder, right? Because if you don't have the builder, you do not have the building. The builder is, is more important because the, the builder brings to bear his wisdom and his creativity or, or her wisdom and creativity and, and expertise and wisdom and, and creates this structure that we all get to appreciate. Now, hold on to that thought, and we're going to come back to it in a few minutes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started this series called Is Good Enough Enough, in which we are walking through this letter um, of the New Testament called uh, Hebrews. And appropriately named that because it was written to a group of, of Jews, Hebrews, in Italy. Now, you may be thinking, 
what do I have in common with Italian Jews? Well, how many of you like pasta? So I'm thinking that's one thing we have in common. Another thing that we have in common is our interest in Jesus. Because whether you are, um, whether you call yourself a Christ follower or whether you're just checking Christianity out, the fact that you're here this morning indicates that you have some interest in Jesus. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, these these Hebrews in Italy had had shown uh, initial devotion to Jesus. They had shown love for each other and, and love for God, and 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 yet their their devotion began to wane and their faith began to waver, or at least apparently so, because this friend of theirs, and we don't know who the author is, but as someone who cares about this this group of people, this um, this friend writes him a letter because he or she wants to re-energize their faith, wants to, to rekindle their love for God and for each other. And so that's the purpose behind this letter. And, and I think it's good for us because some of us may be in a wavering, waning place and we need to have a little recharge. So the author begins... By, by talking about the superiority of Jesus and that he was better than the prophets, he was better than the angels, that he was the exact representation um, of God and that, that he went to the cross to purify us from sin. And that's what Tim talked about last week. That even though Jesus was, was, is superior to the angels for a season, God made him lower than the angels. God... God um, enabled him to step into human flesh and blood so that he could, he could go through everything that we go through, so that he could be tempted in every way that we are tempted. And as Tim talked about last week, this whole idea of the fear of death, that all of us fear death in some way or another. And even Jesus showed that he did too. I mean, in Gethsemane, remember what he prayed? Father, there's got to be a plan B because this cross thing I'm not so crazy about, right? Even Jesus was fearful of stepping into that, and yet he did it so that he could be um, our, our sacrifice, our sacrifice for us so that we could step into the abundant life that God has called us to. So there, there's something that we're going to talk about this morning. First, we're going to talk about the fact that, that Jesus was not only better than the prophets and angels, but, but he's better than Moses, which would have been a big deal for this Jewish readership. But then he, at the end of this text, he's going to make a statement that I, that I like to call or that I'm calling a take a hard look in the mirror statement. Okay? Because all of us need to, to really come to terms with where we stand with Jesus. And so this author is going to make a statement that, that's going to challenge us all to do that. So here's the text, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. The chapter starts with the word therefore. 
And if you've been around Trinity for any length of time, you know that there's a question that you have to ask whenever you see the word therefore. And what is that question? What's the therefore? Therefore. It's to point us back. It's to remind us of what, what was just said. Therefore, because Jesus is, is greater than the prophets, because he's greater than the angels, because he, he became lower than the angels and, and stepped into to this flesh suit, because he gave of himself so that we could overcome this fear of death, because of all of this wonderful stuff, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Concentrate on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Two weeks ago, we saw the fact that that Jesus was the exact representation of the being of God. That he was the creator and sustainer of the universe. And that when, when God sent Jesus, God dropped the mic. He said, there's nothing else to say. There's nothing else to do. Just boom. It's all done. And so this author is saying, don't forget that. Don't forget the glories and, and majesty of Jesus. Focus on him. We're to fix our thoughts on him. Why? Because Jesus is, this verse says, our apostle and high priest. This is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is given the title apostle. You know what an apostle is? The Greek word is apostello, and it, and it means to be sent. Or the noun form means um, one sent with authority to represent See, Jesus is our apostle. God sent him with God's authority to represent God to humanity. That's what, the apostle, what an apostle does. That's what Jesus is doing. He's with the authority of God. He's representing God to humanity. But he's not only our apostle, but he is our high priest. Which means that not only is he representing God to us, but he is representing us to God. That's what a high priest does. The high priest comes into the presence of God with with the, the blood of a lamb. And when God sees the high priest, he sees the nation. And so what Jesus is doing as our high priest is he is representing us to God. You know what's so significant about those two terms? The fact that he is my apostle means that I don't have to be smart enough to figure out God, which is a good thing because I'm not, right? God God recognizes that in my intellect, in and of myself, I can't come to a place where I can figure him out. But he says, Keith, you don't have to because if you want to know what I'm like, just look at Jesus. If you want to know about my love, look at Jesus. If you want to know about my grace, look at Jesus. If you want to know about my power, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact representation of who God is.
You see, as, as God's, as my apostle, Jesus represents God to me so that I can know God. And that's an awesome thing. But as my high priest, that means I don't have to worry about all the crud in my life. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of crud in my life. And I could, I was thinking about other words I could use, but I thought crud would be the, the most sanitary one that I could use. I've got a lot of sin in my life that, that would keep me from standing before a holy God. But the fact that not only do I have an apostle, but I have an, a high priest who represents me to God, that means that when the wrath of God came to strike me because of my crud, it hit on a hill outside of Jerusalem and it struck Jesus instead. And Jesus took the wrath that I deserve for my sin upon himself. And because of that, I can stand before God holy and blemish free. Friends, that's the significance of having an apostle and a high priest. There is great joy in that. So I fix my thoughts on Jesus. And here's something else, verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Just in, just in case you don't know who Moses was, Moses was a very important leader in the nation of Israel. Uh, arguably, he was the most important leader in the nation of Israel. Moses led uh, the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land, or up to, I should say, the promised land. So if, you, if you're a, a Jew and you're thinking about great national leaders, Moses would, would be in the argument. You might debate on who it was, but, you know, if you're an American... You might think, you know, George Washington was our greatest national leader, or Abe Lincoln, or, or maybe one of those other characters in, in Hamilton, you know. Um, Abe Lincoln was not in Hamilton, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, we've got national leaders that we would hold up there and we would say, well, I think he was the greatest, I think he was the greatest. Or if you're from another country, because we're from all over the world in here. You, you might, well, well, you know, if I'm from Rwanda, Paul Kagame, Kagame might be the greatest national leader or, or wherever. You, you're thinking, well, for the Jew, Moses was in the argument. And Moses was a faithful guy. He did what God told him to do. He said what God told him to say. He led this... this uh, grumbling and complaining group of, of people. You know, the Israelites were always whining, we don't want any more quail. I'm tired of manna. You know, I want to go back to Egypt. If I was Moses, I'd say, go. <laughs> you know, just go. He goes up on the mountain and he spends 40 days with God in, in isolation or in, in quiet and solitude, and, and, and God gives him the word, 
to come and deliver to the people. And he comes down off the mountain. And what does he find? He finds these people carousing and having orgies. And there's idols all over the place. You know, I would have just said, okay, I'm out of here. You guys have your own way. But Moses doesn't. He gets angry, but he gets but he composes himself, and then he leads these people to repentance and back to a place of trusting God. See, Moses was faithful. He was a great leader. These Hebrew readers would have recalled all of that. So this author says, Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses This great national leader was faithful in all God's house. In fact, verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. You You thought Moses was great? Think about Jesus. How could Jesus have greater honor than Moses? Well, imagine for a moment that you're the son of God. And the father comes to you and says, okay, son, it's time to go save those people. Great, dad, what are we going to do? What's the plan? Well, the plan is you're going to become a a human and you're going to be born and you're going to be laid in a donkey's feeding trough. Excuse me? Yeah, you're going to be in a manger. And then you're going to grow up in poverty and and obscurity for about 30 years. But then you're going to start a public ministry. And during that public ministry, there's going to be a lot of people who who kind of follow you, but kind of not. Because you're going to be a spectacle. But when it comes time to saving them, these people aren't just going to complain and grumble and be rebellious. But they're going to spit in your face. They're going to drive spikes through your wrists and through your feet. They're going to drive a spear into your side. They are going to ultimately reject you and kill you. You up for that? See, I don't think I would have been. But Jesus said, I'm all in. He was faithful. And thus he is deserving a more worthy of honor than even Moses. Friends, I have great joy because I have an apostle who shows me who God is, but what's more, I have a high priest who is in the presence of God today with holes in his his hands and his feet and his side. Because of me. For me. He was faithful. And the text says, so fix your thoughts on Jesus. To make his point clear, the author talks about a house. Which brings us back to the question I asked earlier, which is more important, the building or the builder. Verse 3 Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. 
Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. See, this text says that Moses was faithful and he was. How many times did God want to just wipe Israel out when they were in the wilderness? Anybody remember? Three times. Three times God was saying, I'm done with these people. And three times Moses stepped up and said, no, have mercy on them. And Moses stood in the gap. Moses was a faithful man. Even though he had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness because of of the sin of these people, he was faithful. But the author says that Jesus is more faithful than Moses because he's the builder of the house. And Moses is just part of the house. See, it says Moses was faithful as a servant in the house. Even though Moses was a great leader, and he was, faithful man, yes, he was. He was just a part of God's house, and he was a sinner, just like I am. He had crud in his life, just like I do. And he knew it. Exodus chapter 3, when he uh, comes into the presence of God, he falls on his face because he knows he is a sinner. But Jesus is not a part of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. He's the one who builds the house of God. Verse 5 says that Moses is a servant in the house, but Jesus is the son over the house. See, Moses never drew attention to himself. He just spoke as a servant of the one who would come. In Deuteronomy 18, he spoke of the ultimate prophet, and he said, whoever turns away from him, God will cut him off. Moses spoke symbolically of Christ. The temple is a picture symbolically of, the, of Christ. The, the, the feasts of Israel are, are prophetically and, and symbolically a picture of Jesus. Moses never drew attention to himself. He just kept pointing to the one who would come. And who is it that who would come? It's Jesus, the prophesied son over the house. See, the son comes in and he not only makes the house, but he inhabits the house. As Paul prays for the Ephesians, he he prays that Christ would come and inhabit us, that Christ might make his home in our hearts by faith. Which brings me to that take a hard look in the mirror statement that I mentioned earlier. Verse 6. And we are his house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. We are his house if indeed we hold firmly to the confidence and the hope in which we glory. 
Notice the text doesn't say that we are Christ's house because we hold on. That would be salvation by works, which would negate the need for an apostle and a high, high priest. It would negate the message of the gospel that says that, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. No, it says that we are Christ's, we are his house if we hold on. That if is not a condition of salvation. It is an indication of salvation. See the difference? Yes? No? Okay, I'll try to explain this. Contrary to what some people believe, coming to faith in Jesus, and I so appreciated Sarah's um, testimony earlier, coming to faith in Jesus does not mean that you raise your hand or walk an aisle or pray a prayer. And I don't want to diminish that those might be significant uh, things that you do in your life, but that does not make you a follower of Jesus. What makes you a follower of Jesus is when, as this author talks about, when you respond to that heavenly calling, when there's something happens in your life where God shows himself to you and you see the the, the glories of, of Jesus. You see the, the majesty of Jesus. You see the love of God as on display in Jesus. And you say, I must accept that. I must put my faith and trust in that. I must follow him. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You see, when... When you become a follower of Jesus, you are changed. You become a different person. It's not that you you shouldn't go back to the way that you are. It's that you can't go back to the way that you are. Anybody ever seen a, a butterfly crawl back into their cocoon? No. You know why? Because butterflies are different. You don't become a butterfly by taking flying lessons. You become a butterfly by being transformed. And that's what happens when you come to faith in Jesus. You are transformed and things are different in you now. And it's not that you shouldn't go back. You can't go back because you are constitutionally different. When you, when you choose to follow Jesus, it's like you walk out of the darkness of a cave and into his wonderful light. And if you listen closely, you hear the cave crashing in behind you. Because you can't go back. As Jesus said in John 3, you are born again. You are a new creation. The vital sign, the vital sign of a true believer 
is that he or she will hold on to the confidence and the hope in which they glory. They will remain faithful even as Jesus was faithful. Friends, the New Testament over and over holds up the fact that that true believers hold on to the truth. When, when Jesus told the parable of the sower, which, by the way, is what our stained glass represents, and if, if you want me to explain it to you sometime, I'd be glad to do that. But um, remember the parable of the sower? Sower spreads seed, and, and the seed falls on different types of soil. One type of soil it falls onto is rocky soil. And, and immediately there's this plant that springs forth, and it looks like it's healthy. But then when push comes to shove and the sun beats down hot, it withers and it dies. Why? Because it never had any roots. It, it never really took. Jesus said in John 8, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you hold on, Matthew 10, Mark 24, Mark 13, Jesus said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, some of you may be thinking, Keith, does this mean that you can lose your salvation? No. Jesus declared in John 10 that he would never lose one of his sheep. Right? The author of Hebrews couldn't agree more. But the point that he's making here is that we have no right to claim the blessed assurance of salvation that we see in John chapter 10 if we don't also exhibit what the sheep of John chapter 10 exhibit. John 10 verses 27 and 28 say, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they what? Follow me. They hear my voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. See, if I'm listening to the seductive voice of the world, if I am listening to the the self-seeking, self-willed, self... um, self everything, voice, then you know what I'm doing? I am settling for good enough. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that good enough is not enough. That you need to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you step into this life that you can never experience otherwise. And you know that you've stepped into that life because you can't go back. Friends, this message isn't meant to make any of us doubt our salvation. But what it is meant to do, it is meant to make us all take a hard look in the mirror and say, am I living that life I claim to live? Or am I playing a game with it? 
Am I still settling for good enough or am I really stepping into this life of freedom and joy and power and grace and confidence and courage that I know Jesus came to give me? Am I listening to his voice and am I following him? Or am I just playing the game? Friends, I am a follower of Jesus. But as a follower of Jesus, I will, like Peter, deny him. I do. I am a follower of Jesus. And I will, like Paul, do the things I don't want to do. And the good things I do want to do, those things I don't want to do. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean I got it all nailed. Being a follower of Jesus means I hold on firmly to the confidence and hope I have in him. Because at the end of the day, he's all I got. As a follower of Jesus, I proclaim with Paul. As Paul said to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am his house. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do you know if you are a part of the house of God, if that you are a holy brother and sister who has responded to the heavenly calling? You know it because you fix your thoughts on Jesus. You know it because when everything else in your life is is calling at you and drawing you away, you say, no, but I'm holding on to him. You know it because you know you have an apostle and a high priest and he represents God to you and he represents you to God and in that you can stand secure. That's how you know Friends, the challenge, the challenge that this friend is writing to his friends or her friends is, look, I don't want you to settle. I don't want you just to go through the motions and pretend and, and say, say you're a follower of Jesus. I want you, I want you to truly know Therefore, don't forget about who he is. Fix your thoughts on who he is. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's even better than Moses. And he has a life for you to step into. And if you don't know that life, you can step into it. But you know you know when you've left the cocoon, the cocoon and you say, I can't go back there. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And that uh, we don't have to be perfect. Which is a good thing because we can't be. 
But what we can do is we can hold on to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are our apostle, you are our high priest. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. And we celebrate that this morning. Lord, as we come to the table today, I, I pray that we would come with great conviction that this is not just something that we do every week because we're at church, but we do this to celebrate the fact that, that we can hold firmly because of what you did to free us from the fear of death. to give us confidence and courage and joy.